Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 96 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, Battle in Egypt, episodes 68 through 70, where the truth is a lie, you show fealty by decapitating yourself, and there's no possible way to escape a completely predictable spiral. Okay, but I know that you didn't mention this as the last thing, but the other thing that we should mention inside of here is that not only do you need to show fealty by killing yourself, you must then kill yourself, offer it to your master, and then your master be like, no, yeah, that's not good yeah, enough. I don't want your fucking fealty. <laughs> that's how you show true fealty <laughs> to your king. <laughs> Whatever, let's jump in. <sighs> We're back. I had such a bone to pick with that moment. <laughs> It's dumb. So, uh, as you'll remember from listening to our last regular coverage episode, we were going to record this before the wedding. Uh, and as you'll remember from listening to our last before, you know, regular coverage episode, we mentioned that our plans for recording before things frequently get upended by random shit, which is exactly what happened. And so we did not do that. Yeah, so we were supposed to record on, um, uh, I, I had a little bit of a family drama thing that happened on that Sunday when we were supposed to record. Um, everybody is fine, um, but there was a there was a hospital visit of, of my grandmother, um, but she is fine now. Um, anyways, um, and like, I think, I think one of the things that happens to you when you have like an older relative is just like when they're like, you know, in their 70s, you're like, oh, no, like, I hope everything's so fine. But in your head, you're like, this will be fine. But my grandmother's 95. And so sometimes when she goes to the hospital, everybody is just like, oh, God, we all need to go to the hospital right now. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, I, I had like a sleepless night on that Saturday night. I, sh- I straight up slept like maybe 45 minutes. And then had to go to work the next day. Fun. It was just a mess. Yeah. Um, My grandmother just turned 99. (laughs) So I live in that all the time. Because very few people make it to 100. In fact, very few make it to 99. I think her mom made it to 101. So theoretically, Mm -hmm. she's got a few more good years in her. And she's really healthy for 99. And people are stunned when they find out how old she is. But like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they are in their 90s, you're just like, you're really living on borrowed time at that point. Like, you're well past the expected date. So Yeah, I mean, like, the, the most morbid thing that I, I constantly say is that, like, when I was living, especially in Portland or Chicago, and the phone would ring and it would be my dad calling me, I would just be like, oh, God, something's happened. That is me every time, every time. And I (laughs) know that my parents don't listen to this, so I know that they won't be on the rack about it. But like when I lived in Chicago, I had this morning routine that involved me talking to my parents ever since the 2016 election, which was, you know, like a funeral for the entirety of America that is still going on like it was a really emotional time because You know, like as a gay person, it's real dangerous out there for me now because all the people that don't like gay people have the dude in the office also talking some crazy shit and emboldening them to do some crazy shit. So it's not very fun just being around. 
And uh, now I live in Wyoming, which is a super safe liberal bastion. <laughs> so it's really not fun. But uh, I used to talk to my parents a lot. Uh, and that started after that because it was a horrible moment and I felt like I needed to reconnect with my family in a specific way. Now that I'm in Wyoming, I don't have a constant uh, like scheduled conversation with them. And so every time they call, they are just trying to touch base and see how I'm doing. And I am afraid that grandma is dead and it sucks. So yeah, it's such a weird like place to be. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, sometimes I'll tell my grandmother topics. that I'm coming home in a little bit so that she will not die out of willpower. <laughs> Having older relatives is weird. It, yeah. Anyways, what a fun uh, conversation. Of, uh, <laughs> speaking of things that are about family, but in a completely different way, uh, we did celebrate the the marriage of uh, of of two gay men. And if you'll allow me to go off script, let me uh, let me sing at you a song real quick. Jesus Christ. Okay. So <laughs> our officiant. So we should have seen this coming. Our officiant. <laughs> was this person who was so anecdotal every time that she talked to us. In fact, she sent us a wedding contract when we were uh, trying to finalize things with her as being our officiant. And the contract itself included a personal story as one of the paragraphs. So <laughs> she was great, but we 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 were like when we reached out to her, we were like, we've got a script that we have pulled together that we really like, and she was like, hey, I think your script is maybe like a little too short. Here are some sample scripts that you can take a look at. We took a couple of things from that and put it into our script and sent it back to her, and then she went off book. I think three times during the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Now, what was great about her was that she was very sincere and emotional. And when she went off book, it was really nice, except the last time when she sang at us. And I, some of you out there might remember, there is this like kind of famous moment where Hillary Clinton, before the 2016 election, was having a sit-down with uh, R&B artist Mary J. Blige. And Mary J. Blige, in a room of just the two of them, puts her hand on Hillary Clinton's leg when they're sitting in chairs just looking at each other and sings at her. And it felt very strongly like that <laughs> to me. And I think most people really liked it. And I was busy having just been like we Pete and I had said our vows to each other. So I was like, this is fine. I'm just going to focus on him and be happy in this moment. But it was so weird. Yeah. I was fresh off of uh, speaking the wrong word from your stupid Shakespeare. Oh my god, sonnet. we have to talk about that too. It's uh, <laughs> let let me let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments is the first line of this. Yeah, this sonnet, and Spencer Great. said, <laughs> "I said impotence uh, <laughs> because I couldn't get the words out um, because." Because like straight up right before it, she had like she had said this moment and had y'all like repeat it to each other. Oh yeah. And y'all got like kind of choked up, and so I got choked up, so I had like tears in my eyes. <laughs> and then they were like, and now we have a reading. And I was like, I know nothing about this. It was a <laughs> it was a really beautiful ceremony. And also all of the weird off book moments and Spencer kind of fumbling that line 
were like some of my favorite things about it. So it all worked out really, really well. It was great. A, a lot of people very sincerely were like, I started crying at this point when people started losing it, or I thought the ceremony was great. It was awesome, but there were also some really funny things about it, which I loved, but they yeah. were also really funny. Yeah, uh, I also got reminded of like uh, that I'm obviously a comic genius. and uh, God, I hate that, you so fucking people much. People like... I lo- People were like, I love your best man speech. And I was like, got it. Yeah, his best man speech included a... I thought this was funny, too, because your your speech included a long section from a comedian in which you were quoting them from one of their comedy specials. And it sounds like a lot of people were like, you're really funny. And I'm like, he is, but he was quoting somebody else who's funny as their job. I was like, I was like, this is a quote from Mike Brigviglia, and I said it before and right after it. So. <laughs> yes, you did. You bookended like it, and people were like still like, Spencer track. Miller is hilarious on his own. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am, obviously, because I'm a comic genius. I hate you so much. So, yeah. So, I'm married now. It's great. Being married is cool. Uh, and we had a really just, like, I know that I'm biased, but it was my favorite wedding that I've been to. It was exactly what I want in a wedding, and that was intentional, but it also worked, which is not a guarantee, and so I loved it. It was great. As someone who is married and uh, as someone who was at my wedding, I am horribly offended by you not thinking my wedding was the best wedding. Yeah, well, you know, them's the bricks, so I guess this is where our friendship ends. It's because... (laughs) It's because nobody was allowed to drink at my wedding, and is that uh, true? At one point, one of yeah, there was no bar at our wedding, <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite parts of your wedding is one of our mutual friends walked up to me at one point, and he was like, "I've had seven gin and tonics. <laughs> who do was you want that? Another vodka, and <laughs> who else do you think it was? It was Stephen." Uh, and I was like, I was like, okay. And then the next day at brunch, when we were talking about it, he was like, oh, I think I had like 13 drinks at the wedding. <laughs> I was like, what? That's great. Because I, we, so we had an open bar for three hours. It's cash bar on either end of that. And um, totally worth it. If you're on the fence about open bar, it was maybe the single biggest expense that we had in our wedding. But Pete and I were both like, this is a thing that we want at our wedding and we're doing it. And uh, it was great. I had quite a few drinks, but I actually never got drunk. I was trying to be conservative. I wanted to get drunk, but I didn't want to get so drunk that I was either publicly sloppy or forgetting major sections of the evening. And I managed to overcorrect and never really even felt buzzed. But I had a few drinks and really enjoyed them and had a great time. So I'm not mad about it. Uh, even though one of my stated yeah. goals for my wedding was to get drunk and I did not succeed. Well, to be fair, you had, you had overcompensated from the night before when we were hanging yeah. out and playing games. And yes. I got drunk the, the night hammered. before and the night before that and somehow never was hungover. Like I was a little hungover, but it was never bad. I don't know how I managed it. I'm very <laughs> grateful because the last time I went out drinking in Chicago before I moved, like a year and a half, two years ago, I got really hungover and it was like a two and a half day ordeal, which is something yeah. that people yeah. tell you happens as you get older. 
suddenly hangovers become multi-day things and you have to reevaluate your drinking choices and plan accordingly. And I was in that headspace and I dodged around it and I will now forget those lessons and be punished for it later. Um, <laughs> Anyways, um, that, that all being said, uh, in manga anime world news, um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into what are you currently reading, Blake? Uh, so yes, thank you for teeing me up. Uh, I just finished the first volume of Assassination Classroom and wanted to mention it here because it's a show slash manga that has fascinated me because of its character design first was what caught my my eye because there's a super simplistic basically like smiley face emoji character at the center of the story um and all of the manga volumes are his face in a super close-up with different colors and patterns on it and it's just kind of stands out from that way it's also a fairly popular manga it's been one of the bigger hits of the last few years uh just based on um people being aware of it if not having read or seen it so i read the first volume i was going to pick up the second volume at my library and it turns out that they don't have it they have the first volume and then they pick back up at like volume six and go through the end so guess i'm not reading any more of that <laughs> but uh the anime is on hulu i want to say and probably crunchyroll because they have everything so i'm gonna definitely watch it um, but I, I was really curious because it's so if you don't know, Assassination Classroom is uh, this story in which an alien who is the um, the character with the sort of smiley face head, he um, shows up on Earth suddenly one day. He appears by knocking almost all of the moon into oblivion, basically creating a permanent crescent moon because he destroys most of it by bursting through it. He shows up on Earth, announces that in one year from now, he will do the same thing to the planet Earth. In the meantime, he would like to be a teacher for a remedial middle school class. And the students of that class will spend that year attempting to assassinate him with his uh, consent and, in fact, encouragement. This begins... So this is the setup. It's already taken place by the time the, the manga begins. He is now their teacher, and the first page or so of the story is them rising up as one to try and kill him. So they're, the story is nominally about them trying to kill him. They do make an assassination attempt or two on him per chapter so far in the story. But the story is also this fucking fascinating and like sincerely heartwarming story of a teacher taking a direct like interest in his students' lives and doing everything he can to teach them lessons tailored to them and their strengths and their interests to make them better people. And it's really good. And it is a different genre than I'm used to. I Like we've said many times on the show, Spencer and I both tend to gravitate toward superpowered individuals fighting each other's style shown in anime. And this is much more of like a lighthearted comedy. And I tend not to like comedy in anime and manga because the style of comedy that is prevalent is just not one that works for me very well most of the time. 
And it is really good and occasionally very funny, but it's also not trying to be super funny a lot of the time. It's just kind of quirky and interesting, and it is that in spades. And I found myself, like, grinning and smiling and loving pretty much every moment of it, and I really liked it. I don't know how the anime holds up because I haven't watched any, any of it yet, and I don't know how the story continues because I've only read the first volume, but I love it so far, and I'm very curious about what happens next. And I really look forward to watching it. And I wanted to share that with you guys because I have spent a long time before now wondering what the series was like. And there it is. Yeah. Um, the the things that I have been ingesting in anime form over the past couple of weeks, um, one of them is one of them is not an anime um, and one of them is close to being an anime, and then one of them actually is an anime from my past that I decided to watch again, uh, apart from the stuff that we normally watch from our episodes. So the one that is closest to us, which is anime-related, is I'm watching Kill a Kill again, and I forgot how much I freaking love this anime. It is so weird and so funny, and also, like, it. it's like... It's it's fan service, but at the, it, at the same time, it's also like completely aware of its own fan service. So it's uh, it like the show is basically giving hell to people that do fan service by making the more fan services the more fan servicey they are, the more powerful they become. If you don't know this anime, um, it is the story of uh this gigantic uh this gigantic city. And at the top of the city, there is this uh, school that has basically been taken over completely by this one person's family and their uniforms that give people superpowers. And um, one of the main characters of the story is this girl that fights with a giant half pair of scissors um, who in the first episode picks up a um, a, a random uh, outfit like a sailor outfit from her, uh, the wreckage of her father's house. Um, and it gives her like super strength, but it's also like super scantily clad. So everybody's just like, that doesn't look like it should be able to protect you at all. And then like this person, people like break stuff on her and they're like, how she doesn't even have any armor there. It doesn't make any sense. And like, it's a very funny and great show, and I'd forgotten how much I liked it, but I do. I'm glad um, you mentioned the, it, because it's pretty popular also, similar to Assassination Classroom. I've heard a lot of good things for several years, and similar to Assassination Classroom, it is largely touted as a genre that I'm not interested in, which is comedy and fan service heavy. I don't like both of those things yeah. usually in anime, and I'm glad to hear that it's something that I'll probably like, based on your description. Oh yeah, Kill a Kill's fantastic. Um, the next thing that I am watching right now, and I'm fighting my way through it because of how much I love Avatar The Last Airbender, is Dragon Prince. Mm. Um, I, I want to like the show. Um, I am so put off by the animation style, but the animation style is starting to grow on me, and so I'm like, you know, it it is what it is. It's a little Um, bit like Ruby, isn't it, in the way it's animated? uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it will put you off when you first watch it, watch it because it's almost like uh like stop motion animated the way that like the it's it's obviously not stop motion animated because there's no like claymation or anything like that inside of it. Um, but the way that it comes across to you, like the the animation quality that comes across to you, is almost jerky. It it has like 
it, it's it's not in the sense that you can like tell exactly where the frames begin and end, but it is in that way that it doesn't feel like a complete fluid motion. Things tend to stop yeah. too fast or they go too fast or they have like a, a, a clear sharp breaking point on what they do that just doesn't feel naturalistic. Um, and that's just one of those things. Um, but I do think that it is a fantastic storyline and it's starting to sell me on it. Um, I am not through with the first season yet. So um, if you're a wait ahead of me, like just wait, I'll probably get to you eventually. Yeah. He and watches the things pretty one. fast. And I would say thing I would, I think we have this problem with anime a lot too, is like, there's good stories like full metal alchemist and cowboy bebop that some people won't watch because they are anime and people don't like anime or they don't like anime Ted to things. And that is dumb because the story is really good. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching dragon prince myself and encourage you to keep at it despite the format because of those, you know, reasons. Yeah. The last one, which is a just complete blast from the past, but it is very important to me because of how important this anime, this, this animated show was to my childhood and to my humor um, it was coming out when I was like going into my like teen years. Um, but it, it, it was very important to me in high school and to a lot of my friends. We like connected over the humor inside of the show. And that is the Invader Zim movie that came out on Netflix. Um, if you don't remember Invader Zim, uh, it's about a, a, uh, alien from space that, uh, um, he was basically sent by his his leaders to Earth because they wanted to get rid of him because he's so obnoxious. Um, they sent him off with a defective robot servant um, to Earth, and then they are trying to basically take over the planet. Um, and they are thwarted a lot by this character named Deb, who is like this conspiracy nut child. Um, and the way that they start off this one is like... They they start out and they they basically just pretended like they've gone a very long time without Invader Zim being seen and they Dib can't figure out why and when they like look at him he's like oh he looks so horrible and it turns out he's just been sitting in front of a computer so long that he's got like a gut and like horrible eye gunk and like gunk coming out of his ears because he's not moved he's just been sitting in front of a computer for like twelve years. <laughs> It's like it's really good. It also like I think that the I think that the humor is very the humor in the writing is from like the original team. So it's not different from, you know, the original show. It it will strike you if you haven't watched the show in a really long time as like aggressive the way that their humor is, but I think that that's one of the things that makes it endearing is that it's just like it is a completely different brand of humor that is at 11 at all times, if not at 13. Yeah, it's very of the time because I haven't seen the movie, but I've, I remember watching the show actually just a couple of years ago for the first time I saw it. And it's very much like that era of humor for, you know, animated kids shows was very strongly into the like kind of joke bombardment zaniness and then I think like Adventure Time sort of morphed the genre into what it is now, whereas Adventure Time is also very funny, lots of jokes, very zany, but it's done in a different style. And Invader Zim is definitely before that, in that kind of era of like that, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Lab, that kind of stuff. Yeah, 
Anyways, um, with all that being said, uh, you should check out, I think, all three of those things that I am, I'm watching right now, and it sounds like you should check out what Blake's looking into, but this week we're going to talk about, uh, we, we spent a lot of time doing this opening, and it's mostly because these episodes that we're watching this week have, like, no content inside of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like one and a half stories, and they're spread over four episodes, I think, or maybe is it three? We're, let's see, we're doing... Three three episodes today 68 through 70 and one of them is finishing up the story that we cliffhangered on last time and the other two are their own thing and they're yeah there's not a ton there so jojo's bizarre adventure previously on this is a story uh it's an anthology series that we are now in the third part of um each part is a different generation of the same family or at least so far that's the case i don't know if that continues because the show's on part five and the manga's on like part seven or eight. But uh, right now we have a the protagonist. So each of the protagonists of the series is called Jojo as a nickname for whatever their you know real name is. Right now we have a character as our protagonist named Jotaro Kujo, who goes by Jojo for short. His grandfather was the protagonist of part two. His name is Joseph Joestar. And then the original uh, protagonist from part one was that character's father. So uh, I think father, it could be grandfather. I'm pretty sure it's father. So we are a couple generations deep into part three. And in fact, the uh, grandfather, Jojo, (laughs) sorry, they're all Jojo. The grandfather, Joseph, is one of our main characters (laughs) here as well. He has returned. Um, They have... Uh, picked up a couple of friends. Their part- party consists of a guy named Avdal, who is Joseph's friend from a long time. Um, they have also met and befriended two guys named Polnareff and Kakyoin, who are about Jotaro's age, which is high school aged. And then they also have a dog along with them who is named Iggy. They are all special because they are uh, stand users. So a stand is basically a manifestation of your spirit energy that does fighting for you. Um, they can be sort of humanoid or like in Iggy's case, bestial. They can also be a little bit more conceptual. Like we'll see one very briefly in this episode that is just a labyrinth. Uh, so stands are a wide array of things and, um, they are all stand users. Stands have been around for a while, sort of ambiguously, but they are new to part three. Before this, they were using a sort of more generic energy system to do their fights in parts one and two. Stands seem to have been around for at least a generation at this point in universe, but they said something near the beginning of part three that indicated that stands were on a sudden uptick. And that seems to be related to the appearance of the series' main villain. He was also the villain of part one. He's a guy named Dio. In part one, he was the adopted brother of the then protagonist, Jojo. He turned himself into an immortal vampire, did a lot of fighting with Jojo, and was ultimately uh, decapitated. His decapitated head was nailed into a coffin with the body of part one protagonists, uh, Jojo, and they were dropped to the bottom of the ocean. Since that time, Dio has attached his severed head to the body of his uh, former enemy, Jojo, which is, of course, our Joseph and Jotaro's ancestor. 
Um, he has then, through happenstance, been uh, returned to the surface world from the bottom of the ocean, and he his presence and fusing with Jojo's body seems to have sparked the presence of Stans, at least in jo- Jojo's ancestors, which are our protagonists now, if not in the wider world. Um, in fact, one of the ancestors is Jotaro's mother and Joseph's daughter. She has manifested her stand, but unlike those two dudes, she does not spend all of her time bodybuilding and training how to fight, so her body cannot handle the onset of a stand. It is killing her, and they have deduced that the only way to save her life is to kill Dio because his return is the cause of her stand. That should free her from it and allow her to live on. So, Dio is hiding out in Egypt. They have spent this entire series slowly making their way to Egypt in a kind of Monster of the Week road trip. They have finally made it to Egypt for a little while now and have been fighting their way to finding out where Dio's uh, lair is, essentially. In the last episodes, they finally found and made it to Dio's lair. They are now inside of it, and when we last left them, part of the uh, the Jojo party, specifically Jotaro, Joseph, and Kakyoin, had been locked in what we thought was a pocket dimension with a guy named Darby. We've met Darby before, but this is actually that guy's brother, and where that guy was obsessed with gambling games, this guy is obsessed with video games and uses his stand to play them and to steal the souls of people that he beats in them. Meanwhile, the other yeah. three people of the party are kind of up at the the entrance of the mansion where we left them. And that brings us into episode 68. So the episodes this week are 68 through 70. They are a three-parter, the Miasma of the Void, Vanilla Ice, part one, two, and three. They call him Cool Ice if you read over inside of the subversion. Um, yeah, because they're trying weird. to avoid copyright. <laughs> we yeah. we got got so, by this with Oingo and Boingo. We're not going to get got by it here. We're calling him Vanilla Ice because that is the appropriate name. Yes, he's he is Vanilla Ice. It is who Shut he up. is. Um, this episode is going to start out um, with the end of the last fight against Darby. Uh, Darby the Junior. Um, he is. <laughs> uh really obnoxious and he he like gives away the ghost at the very beginning of this which is like to say that he can predict what people are doing because his power of his stand is being able to uh see into someone's soul and people's souls never lie um so he can predict if somebody is trying to fake him out on their pitches or in yeah in this video game that they're doing because this soul will not lie even if they're trying to lie um so he can see through everything However, Jotaro is going to start throwing pitches that are not what he says they are, and his soul says they are, and he can't figure this out, and so he's going to freak out. Yeah, his stand allows him to read people's souls, but it's limited to reading yes or no questions. So he is not able to come up with a yes or no question that can deduce how Jotaro is managing to cheat or at least to lie to him, because I guess he's not cheating, but he is he is telling him directly what he's going to do, then not doing it, even though his soul confirms that he is intending to do that thing. And this guy can't find a yes or no question around it. 
eventually he's going to lose by default. Uh, Darby is specifically because uh, as we saw with the previous Darby, if you kind of feel that you have lost in your soul, that's as good as losing in reality. And so he basically is mentally defeated by not being able to figure out how Jotaro is playing him. And then we're going to see how that was happening, which is essentially that uh, older Jojo, Joseph, was using his stand to control the video game controller. And uh, so Jotaro was telling the truth of the pitches he would throw, but he was not actually controlling the pitches and they were able to win that way. Uh, yeah, it's I liked it's kind it. Of a, a stupid conceit. <laughs> I actually thought it worked really well. I thought the reveal was good. It, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, give myself away here. I liked all three of these episodes quite a lot. Uh, I remembered when the battle in Egypt section of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure began, and we suddenly liked the show, and then that went away like immediately. <laughs> Uh, I really liked these episodes. There were plenty of things that I didn't like about them, uh, most of which were fairly common JoJo's Bizarre Adventure storytelling trips at this point. But overall, I enjoyed watching these episodes this time. Yeah. So the next thing that's going to happen is that we're going to meet our our next villain, which is going to be Vanilla Ice. Um, the way that we meet him, though, is that he is going to go into um, uh, into Dio's room and he's going to start talking to Dio. Uh, Dio's like, uh, can you see this cut here? It's almost healed. I need to drink after after one more person. And after I do... Um, I should be able to survive. And uh, I need you to know that Darby just left, uh, lost a few moments ago because he didn't completely trust and want to die for me. And so Vanilla Ice, to show his like complete and utter like you know um, fealty to uh, to Dio, is just like okay. I'll cut off my own head, then you can drink my blood. And he just so happens to have a big old urn, and then he cuts off his head, and then he just, like, fills it with blood as he's, like, dying. His, like, arms still hold it for some reason, and then he, like, falls over after his blood comes out. And then Dio's like, no, I I didn't didn't want your blood. It's fine. Here, take some some of my blood and heal your head. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, uh, heal your head. Here, take some of my blood, heal your head. So he, yeah, Dio is basically like, I appreciate the gesture, <laughs> which is so ridiculous because this dude just decapitated himself. But he's like, nuts, nah, fine. I would rather have you alive and serving me than drink your blood to finish my whole deal. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna live again because I'm a vampire and I can make you revive and then be immortal. So I'm going to do that real quick and we're going to forget this ever happens. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Also um, in the, in the fight between Darby after they beat him, they punch him and they punch him up into the ceiling through the sky, which turns out just to have been the ceiling. And they realize that they are not in a pocket dimension, but they're actually just in the basement. (laughs) I don't know how they managed to get there without realizing it, but they did. And uh, that will be important later. Anyway, back to the current yeah. action. Anyways, 
So the current action is that Avdol, Polnareff, and Iggy are going to find themselves coming into um, into the building, which they had already gone into. Um, it's just like completely waved over that they've been probably standing around for like three hours outside of this place. And he's just like, um, and in in this moment, uh, Avdol's just like, he said I have to wait to, for 10 minutes, and if they don't come back after 10 minutes, then we should go in. And I was like, what is this, Namek, where, like, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes of Namek going to explode time, it's never exploded, instead it's two and a half episodes of nothing? Yeah. Whatever. Um, <laughs> it is that, and I, I agree, like, you know, I mean, this is... Not it's not uncommon. You see this actually a lot in Bleach, where they cut away, do an entire fight, and then cut back to another fight that is theoretically happening at the same time, but they just didn't get to it yet. But this, like the way it's written and presented, just feels like the time has passed, and you're just like, what? How mm-hmm. long have they just been standing here? Um, so yeah, they they're gonna go inside of the building. Uh, to see if they can find the other team members and reunite with them so they can go fight Dio. And they are going to find themselves wandering a labyrinth. And that turns out to be a stand by a stand user who is killed basically by accident. Uh, Iggy the dog smells something. And uh, so Polnareff has his stand, which is called Silver Chariot. It is a, a fast sword user. Uh, it attacks the wall where Iggy is sniffing, which happens to be where the stand user is hiding. He is killed by this attack. His stand fades, and I don't know that he's even given a name. He, I think maybe they mention him in memoriam or something, but like he's done. And I kind of liked that this was like a stand user that's killed functionally off screen. I mean, it is literally on screen, yeah. but he's killed so fast and with so lack of ceremony that he might as well not have been there at all. Yeah, they. I think they say underneath it that it was just like killed without a fight. Yeah, just like good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to see that fight. I'm glad we didn't have to. Why didn't you kill that stupid car off screen? Whatever. Ugh. Anyways, I had forgotten uh, about that. Yeah, let's go and talk about more birds that are gonna fly down and swim through the water and also through the ground like cartoon characters from Bugs Bunny era. Um. Anyways, um. We love JoJo's so- Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> Okay, so here's the here's the thing about this fight that uh, I really really like, and it, it, the reasoning why is because the character's powers are very well established, and yes. he doesn't break his rules, which is why he's such a good character to fight against. Well established powers and rules that are abided by for the entirety of the fight are almost an impossible find in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And to be fair, the first thing, usually the powers are ill-defined because the characters are trying to figure it out while the audience is trying to figure it out. And there's some element of mystery. And I get that. I just don't think Spencer or I find that it is ever done well for the most part in the series. Mm -hmm. Usually it just feels like the author making it up as they go and pulling things out of their ass when it's convenient. And this fight is neither of those things, and I really appreciated it. Anyways, um, so... <laughs> I can't uh, tell if you liked these episodes. I said that I liked them, and I just said that I appreciated how they were done. And every time you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so here's the problem that I have with these episodes. <laughs> okay, the the fight between 
Vanilla Ice, Paul Nareff, and Iggy. <laughs> um, and I say that that those three people are in this fight because um, Avdol is going to be murdered immediately. Yeah, um, he is going to be is sucked into another dimension, and he explicitly says that he disintegrates him in this other dimension. Yeah, and that happens so fast. It, it number one, it kind of annoys me because I'm like. I really like this character and I never get to see him fight. Um, Yeah, he's always upstaged in his fights and he was already killed and then retconned to have survived it. So for him to be killed Mm -hmm. so fast and largely out of sight feels a little bit of a, a bit of, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. And there are two completely dumb storylines that bookend this great fight which makes it almost it makes it almost more frustrating because it's just these two very dumb things right at the beginning and end of this really good thing that just makes me like oh I guess I want to watch Paul Nareff fight against all of these different monsters and nobody else inside of this show um, because <laughs> I swear the beginning and end of the Darby saga is real dumb and then at the end of this uh, this is just like a, a non super important point but it's going to happen at the end of the next episode and it kind of like breaks the action of this um, Joseph Jotaro and Kakuine are going to like meet a dumb vampire for no reason and yeah his just, power is that he has a woman's tricked. body on his back and tries to pass himself off as a lady to trick people, it's but very his dumb. hands don't spin around, so it's not a good trick. That's his whole deal. It's like it's like the dumbest trick, and it makes no sense, and it's it's like, why is this even here? He's a joke I don't character. Care about There's this. a joke with his name, and uh, I was really annoyed because the dub did not explain the joke. <laughs> His name is Japanese, I think, and I didn't get it. And they made all these jokes and comments about people making fun of his name. And I was like, what's the joke? I had to Google it (laughs) after the episodes. I was so annoyed. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, um, it's just like inside jokes. But that's not even the dumbest thing that's happens inside of this episode. Because before we get to the the great fight that happens in this episode, we also have to talk about Suzy Q arriving again in Japan. Ugh, I thought we were done. I forgot with this about person. that. Yeah, the and goddamn so, worst. I just hate this character so much. How is much, she alive still? Think- if she tr- goes through the world like this, and also she lives in New York. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Whatever. when you live Um, in a city and it's just you get this sense of how to take care of yourself and sure you're not always right and it doesn't always work but you have this like instinct of when you need to be paying attention you i think tend to pay more attention to your surroundings and have this sort of like mental awareness so that if you need to react to something you can because cities can be dangerous places there's a lot of people around, you know, usually I ha- when I'm in a city, I have like a little part of my mind devoted to checking my surroundings so that I don't get pickpocketed or have like my phone snatched out of my hand or something. And you just, you have that, you don't have to have it in other places necessarily. You can argue whether or not you should, but you don't have to. When you're in a city, you just develop this sort of sixth sense that you should be watching your surroundings with at least part of your brain most of the time and this bitch does not have any of that she's lived her whole fucking life in new york what is wrong with her 
I don't know. This character just makes me so annoyed the entire time. Everything that she does annoys me. Um, yeah. Anyways, she's going to go visit Holly for no reason. And it, it's it's just like, please just write this character out of the show. Yeah. Um, her, meanwhile, there's going an awesome to see fight her, that's happening. There's this whole thing where her butler knows that Holly is sick and dying and hasn't told her because he doesn't have the heart to tell her. And then it finally comes out. He he's the other butler is like, you have to tell her before we get there because she can't be surprised by this in front of Holly who's dying right now. And he tells her and then Susie is like, yeah, I figured it out by the way that you told me the lie that you told me that you were hiding something and deduced that she's probably, you know, gravely ill. So none of this mattered. And why did this happen? I added the last part, but it's true. Yeah. Anyways, so meanwhile, there is this fight that's happening between Villa, Vanilla Ice, Kakuin, and uh, Iggy the dog. This fight is nuanced, interesting, and it goes through a lot of stages of a fight very quickly. AKA, it I is a complete like, first really, for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes, it is. It, it is also like one of the most interesting abilities because it is both in JoJo's fashion, sort of grotesque the way that the person uses his powers, um, which is that Vanilla Ice summons this gigantic stand monster behind him. The monster then eats Vanilla Ice and then eats himself so he can disappear into a pocket dimension. There's also a hilarious joke that happens when he leaves the room and he's like, uh, and Dio's just like, Look, you turn into a pocket dimension. You could have done that right after you got out of my room and opened the door and then closed the door first, you idiot. Because he just blows a hole in Dio's door. <laughs> yeah, so this guy's power basically gives him the ability to uh, ghost around the room. He can he can turn invisible and, in fact, I think take himself out of reality entirely and then reappear. And he, at the beginning of the fight, he basically turns invisible and um, moves around that way. And then later on, the characters are going to get wise to him and he's going to start turning. uh, He's going to start completely removing himself from reality, you know, moving to a different spot in the room through the other reality and then reappearing and kind of taking a good guess at where everybody's going to be so he can fight them. But maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Okay. So, Here's the thing. One of the ways that he is going to fight against Polnareff is really, really cool, which is that he is going to realize that Polnareff is so fast that he is going to be able to like stab out at him. So what he's going to do is that he is going to become like able to be hit um, inside of the room for just a moment. And then he is going to take out different pieces of their of them. Um, Polnareff gets a good shot at him for a second and then gets knocked back. They realize that they need uh, to sneak up on him to really get the drop on him. So one of the things that he is going to do is they're going to like basically run out of the room. And when he reappears, he doesn't see them. And it turns out that Iggy has made like a sand version of Dio come down the stairs to like come and talk to Vanilla Ice and Vanilla Ice is going to realize that there's too much light inside of this room and he's going to knock the stand out of the way. It's just like 
really interesting ways that they use their powers. It's also yeah. one of the coolest things that Iggy's got to do with the stand, the fool, so far. His stand is, is really cool really and great. it is honestly criminally underused. It's partly because Iggy is a bastard and doesn't want to hang out, so he's never around when they're fighting, but it has the unfortunate side effect of us not getting to see more cool shit with Dog Gara. Yeah, he's Dara. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, um, anyways um, the the other thing that is going to be happening inside of this fight, which is fantastic, is that there is a hidden third uh, or the hidden second power that Vanilla Ice has gotten because of the earlier thing that has happened when he got his head cut off by Dio. He no, is he going got to his be head cut he's off going by to materialize. <laughs> Yeah, he got his head cut off by himself, but regenerated by Dio. So he is going to get stabbed in the throat by Polnareff, who is able to predict where he is going to be um, because he throws sand all around the room after Iggy gets hit by, like, he gets hit in the middle of this thing, and it's really, really horribly hurt Iggy. Um, and so he is going to stab through his throat, and then he is going to, like, close his dimension on top of the blade and get away from it. But uh, at the same time, Polnareff's just like, how did you get away from this? That should have mortally wounded you. And then he is going to, like, get his toes cut off by uh, by the stand user. And the stand user just flies around the room, smashing everything and getting more and more upset. And that it builds to, like, this great climactic end where you think that Polnareff has been murdered by Vanilla Ice. But it turns out to be like a feint by um, by Iggy using the last of his power on a stand, um, and it turns out Paul Nareff gets like the jump onto Vanilla Ice and like looks like he just straight up crazy murders him. But it turns out you didn't because when he was brought back earlier because it was Dio's blood, he's now a vampire. Yeah, he he should have Which killed this also guy makes twice. Sense. But yes, it does make sense. There's some stuff about sunlight earlier that maybe doesn't make sense, but maybe he's still transitioning into vampire at that point. So we're going to let it slide. It's, it is mm-hmm. for one of the first times in Jojo's bizarre adventure, a narrative ass pull that can be explained away with the narrative itself. Um, but yes. yeah, basically <laughs> after, after impersonating Dio near the beginning of this fight, vanilla ice beats Iggy to within an inch of his life. Literally basically because creating an image of Dio is deemed sacrilege by this dude because of his, you know, fanatic devotion that then Polnareff is very injured by having like literally part of his foot, you know, disintegrated by this stand and, um, and a couple other, he takes a couple other hits. He's, he's in a pretty bad way. So his energy and mobility are extremely stunted. Iggy is basically lying in a heap, and that's when the, the sort of climax of the fight that Spencer just talked about happens, which involves Vanilla Ice doing an ever-tightening spiral so that he can keep himself invulnerable while still attacking them. And this part, I was like, it's not that it's bad, but like they're they're having trouble moving themselves. And there's drama and tension around whether or not they can move themselves out of the way. But there are like two parts where they move themselves a not insignificant distance. And I'm like, why don't you just go to a part of the room that he's already gone through so that he doesn't go there anymore? <laughs> and they just don't come up with that plan. And so basically Polnareff, as the spiral is nearing him, Polnareff is like, Iggy, I'm going to die. And Iggy makes to save him. 
And he's like, don't do it. If you exert your energy to save me, you will, you will kill yourself because you're so close to death that an exert, an exertion of that level will, you know, seal the deal. And Iggy does not listen to him and sacrifices himself to save Polnareff. That gives Polnareff the chance to fatally strike Vanilla Ice, but he's a vampire, so it's not fatal. So Polnareff yeah. is full Thanks. of rage, and that basically recovers him enough to finish this fight. Yeah, the way that he does it is he breaks out um, a section of the room so that sunlight can come in, and it ends up burning out uh, uh, Vanilla Ice, which is great because that's how vampires die. Um, and it's 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 a pretty climactic moment and a good fight that makes you really excited for the end of the fight. Yeah. Then some dumb stuff happens, and then there's we a, cut back, and Dio is just like straight up walking up on Polnareff. Yeah, there's a cool section where like Vanilla Ice kind of gets a little portion of him in the sun, but he jerks back, and he is kind of taunting Polnareff across from the stream of sunlight. And Polnareff just summons his stand behind Vanilla Ice while he's talking shit and pushes it into the sun. And it's really cool. It's great. And I really enjoyed it a lot. Then Holly goes to Japan. Or sorry, Susie Q goes to Japan. She makes an ass of herself. We talked about that. Um, This then is when Jotaro, Joseph, and Kakyuin have, you know, gotten back up from the the dungeon. They are attacked by this guy named Nekusaku. Nekusaku. Sorry. Which... uh, I googled and it seems like it probably means idiot. There are a couple of possible translations. Idiot seems like the most likely given context clues. Uh, He does his I'm a a woman in distress thing, but he doesn't flip his hands the right way. So they see through it. They beat him up. He promises to take them to Dio so that they won't kill him because he's a coward. Meanwhile, Polnareff is sitting on the stairs. He is now by himself because Abdal has been disintegrated and Iggy has died through exertion. And Dio walks up behind him and is like, hey there, welcome to my home. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And that's where we're going to leave off. God, Um, I hope that the final fight is good because this was a good fight. And there have been a small number of other good fights. And I really hope he sticks the landing here. And I just don't think it's going to (laughs) happen. See, the only reason I do think that it's going to happen is because the final fight of this series has been on so many compilations of like best anime fights okay. um, out there that I am I am convinced that we are going to get a good show, and I am uh, fully fingers crossed. Go Anyways, out on a bang. Uh, stick with us. Stick with <laughs> us after these credits, and we will talk about what's happening on the next episode. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday. On iTunes. Google Play. Stitcher. Buzzsprout. Or wherever you get your podcast from. And hey, thanks for listening. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Hunter x Hunter episodes 93 through 97. 
Yeah, you've heard about all these different dating services. You've got OkCupid, <laughs> you've got Bumble, and now have we got Crazy Psychic Woman Monthly, where you can sign up for our service, and we'll send one crazy woman that's going to kill you with scissors to your house every month. I really enjoyed that. That was good.